Thank you so much, Callie. It really just means the world to me to hear your story and also to get to be a part of it. Um, yeah, getting to walk alongside you at, o at OUZ is one of my, yeah, biggest blessings in my life. Um, I admire you and your walk with the Lord so much. You inspire me. Um, but yeah, I'm Amber. If, not, if you guys haven't met me before, um, I'm an intern with Crew. This is my second year. Um, yeah, I have uh, the Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock, ladies. <laughs> I'm really glad they were loud. I told them, if you are not loud, I'm going to be so mad. Um, but yeah, if this is your first time here, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Um, but if you've been around for a while, you know that we're currently in a series called Guarding the Deposit, where we're talking about both doctrine and devotion. Um, we've been discussing important theological concepts and how they should push us to love God more in our daily lives. Um, and this is actually the part in, usually when people are talking, they show like a picture of their family or their spouse or their pets. But since I have none of those things, uh, this is the closest I have. Um, it's a stink bug. Oh, wait, there it is. Yeah, it's a stink bug that hangs out in my apartment. You know, I walk by and I'm like, hey, Steve. And he's like, I'm probably dead. I've been here for a while, but, you know, um, I'll flip it. Sorry if that grossed anyone out. But, um, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, um, today we're going to actually be talking about salvation. Feels like the big one. Um, and when I was asked to talk about this, it honestly stopped me in my tracks. Um, that might feel surprising, because many of you have probably sat with me and heard me talk about the grace that God has shown us in Jesus. You might have even sat across me in front room as we went through a little booklet called Knowing God Personally that talks about how you can be saved. Um, I love reflecting on these things, but it wasn't always that way. Um, I accepted Christ when I was just six years old, like genuinely. I was like, yes, Jesus is what I want my whole life to be about. Um, I remember that I was like so excited to read my little picture book, Beginner's Bible. I sat in the corner of my room one night, knocked the whole thing out, and I ran to my mom and I was like, Mom, I read the whole Bible. I was so excited. Um, little did I know I had a pretty long way to go, but I still really genuinely loved Jesus and wanted others to know him too. But I had a problem, a really big problem. Uh, pretty early on, I began wrestling with doubts about whether or not I was truly saved. Um, it was a pretty big pattern in my life from ages 6 to 18, and at times it was completely debilitating. I remember sobbing to the point of screaming out to God in my car one day in high school, certain that I had messed everything up because I had been too afraid to tell someone about Jesus. I worried that maybe I hadn't committed my life to him correctly, like I had to raise my hand in church or something to truly be saved. Um, I used to work in the children's area of a church I went to when I was younger, and there was a day I was in the supply room trying to find, like, some markers or whatever, and they had this little TV screen that was playing the sermon um, from the sanctuary, and the pastor was at the point in the sermon where he was like, okay, guys, like, if you want to know Jesus, I want you to raise your hand right now. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like, this is finally the moment, this is when I can find my security, and I raised my hand in this little supply closet. But then someone opened the door and came in behind me, and I quickly put my hand down. I walked, out in there, I walked out of there in shame, more uncertain than ever, that I could truly believe that I was saved. At a similar time, I went to a church service with a family friend, and they asked a similar question. If you want to commit your life to Jesus, raise your hand. And this time I did, even though I'd already been walking with God for over 10 years. And my friend was so excited, she took me at this little room where they were throwing a party for all the people who had just made this decision. Um, and I looked around at all the people who were celebrating their newly found freedom. But I sunk into deeper shame. I had faith in Christ, but I didn't feel free. What was keeping me from joining in the celebration? 
And I just want to take a moment and like be really real with you guys. Like sometimes it's easy to come up here and really sugarcoat things, but it was like I would be in the pits of despair with this. I would be in great distress, just in my room, like thinking for hours on end, just like ruminating, trying to find some semblance of peace. And I just couldn't do it. Um, but God, thankfully, is there for us in those darkest moments, in the depths of despair, when we're feeling the most distressed. He was there in that supply closet with me. He was there as I sobbed in my car. And he was there at the party I couldn't enjoy. My sophomore year of college, I joined Crew. I was a student at OU Lancaster, and I was still wrestling with all of these questions. Um, some of you guys might know Erin Loper. She's here tonight. Okay. Um, she was my discipler when I was in college, and one day we sat down and she went through a resource with me called Position in Christ. She walked me through it and suggested a few passages that I should read on my own. Um, if you've ever been to OU Lancaster, you may have seen like the beautiful hills that they have out back. Um, I sat down, I was looking out at the hills, and I was opening up my Bible to the passages that she directed me to. And as I read through them, tears began streaming down my face. The words staring up at me from the page were slowly melting away the past 12 years of despair um, in my standing before God. I looked up at the hills and took a deep breath. It was like, everything is different now, which might sound dramatic, but it's truly how I felt. Um, and you don't unlearn 12 years worth of harmful thought processes in a single moment, but it was the beginning of coming to know to the deepest part of my core that I was saved and no one could snatch me from my Savior's hand. Tonight, I want to walk you guys through the things that Aaron had pointed me to that day. And we're going to start with a passage that might feel a little bit like a downer. It's probably not in anyone's like, list of verses they would send to a friend when they're sad or anything like that. But I would actually argue that it's one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. And I'll get to why in a moment. Um, but first, we're going to set the stage. We're going to be jumping in in a moment in Romans 3, verses 9 to 20. Um, but Paul's actually just spent the first two chapters of Romans explaining that both Jews and Gentiles, which basically just means anyone who's not Jewish, um, that they're all under sin. He starts by listing the ways that the non-Jewish people have rebelled against God over the course of human history, all kinds of evil and idolatry, and he explains that these things deserve the wrath of God. And at this point, a Jewish reader might have been like, yes, Paul, amen, you're so right, those Gentiles are so bad. But then Paul actually takes his finger and points it towards them. And he uses some pretty strong language here, even going so far as to say, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul concludes that not only do the Gentiles deserve God's wrath, but so do the Jews. They have the law and the teachings of God, but they don't truly follow the laws with their hearts. And not only that, but they also make it harder for others to follow God because of their hypocrisy. And these things weren't just true for the first century readers. They're true of us as well. Uh, this is Paul's conclusion about the human condition. It says, um, oh shoot, where did I? Okay. Um, for we have already made the charge that both Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. 
Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. That's pretty bleak, right? Like, imagine you're sad and your friend's like, hey, I have the perfect verse for you. And then they send this. They'd be like, man, what a, what a bummer. Um, but I actually think we can find a ton of hope here. Um, as I read this for the first time outside of OUL, it was like a boulder the size of an airplane was being lifted from my chest. It was putting words to a reality that I'd felt to my core for so long. I couldn't be righteous on my own. Each day that I lived, I was measuring myself up to a sort of law. Not the Jewish law exactly, but one of my own making. Was I living well enough? Could I feel okay? Were things between me and God good? Verse 19 tells us that no one can achieve complete righteousness through the law, but that it existed to make people aware of their sin and inability to follow it. Where my failures to achieve perfection should have been pushing me closer to Christ, I would instead end each day condemning myself for not living up to my standard. I knew that God desired me to live righteously, but I failed again and again. So if the human condition is so bleak, and if we see it to be true even in our own lives, how are we to ever achieve righteousness? Obviously, God desires that we would live in a way that's pleasing to him, right? I sat there at OUL thinking, wow, okay, so I'm not alone in feeling this ache that I can never be good enough. I'm not alone in becoming more and more aware of my sin as I try to live a holy life. But what now? Romans 3 continues like this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So this is an extremely theologically rich chunk of scripture full of the beautiful glories of the gospel. Uh, we're going to break it down together. Um, so it starts by kind of following the same train of thought that I had. If humans are unable to live truly righteous lives, how are they to achieve the righteousness that God desires? We get our answer here. Take a look at verse 22. It says, This righteousness is given through faith in Christ to all who believe. I want you to take a second just to notice how incredible this is. Paul just got done talking at length about how humans are not righteous, nor can they obtain it through the law. It's been the question on everyone's mind throughout the course of the entirety of human history. In the Old Testament, God's people, the nation of Israel, failed to follow the law again and again and again. You and I feel the ache of the unending gap between God's perfection and our imperfect lives. And all of these things find their resolution in Jesus Christ. It's incredible. But how is it so? Look at this section of verse 24 and 25. It says, And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. There's this really important theological word here, justified. And the meaning of this word is to, to be declared righteous. There's also a legal implication. 
If we are declared righteous, this must also mean that the record of our unrighteousness is wiped clean, that we are seen as innocent, redeemed, and not guilty. And that's exactly what we see in this passage. We are declared righteous by his grace, the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And this was brought about by the shedding of his blood offered as a sacrifice of atonement. This word atonement refers to animal sacrifices that the Jewish people would have to make each year because of their sin. And this is saying that instead of the blood of animals, Jesus' blood would bring ultimate, once for all time, forgiveness of sins. And all of this is to be received by faith. That's our role in the equation. Faith. And so let's put it together. We're going to have a little graph here, a little math moment, um, if you will. Uh, it's my favorite graph. Um, <laughs> it's from position in Christ. Um, and so the x-axis, which one's that? Who remembers? Yeah, back and forth. I saw one person go up and down. You, uh, but yes. <laughs> so the x-axis goes back and forth, and that represents my life, me over the course of my life. And then the y-axis, the one that goes up and down, is my percent of righteousness. And like I said before, I put my faith in Christ at the age of six, represented by this little cross here. Um, and before that point, I was 0% righteous. As we read about earlier when Paul said, none are righteous, no, not one. But when I placed my faith in Christ, I actually became 100% righteous. This might sound a little hard to believe. How could little six-year-old Amber truly be completely righteous? It's a really valid question. Um, and that's what makes being justified so glorious. When we accept Christ, his perfect record becomes our own. God no longer sees us through our sin, but through the sinless sacrifice of his son. And what all of this means, what Romans 3 is really getting at, is that when I placed my faith in Christ, I gained Christ's righteousness. And God's going to see me this way for the rest of my life. Notice how the line goes all the way across. Um, imagine a courtroom. My case is being read, all of my sins, all of my mistakes, all of my shortcomings. I'm about to be justly punished and condemned. But then Jesus, he busts through the doors, he runs up to the front, he takes my record and he rips it up. And then he hands the judge his record instead. Friends, this is your reality if you are in Christ. Colossians 2, 13-14 puts it like this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record that was against you has been nailed to the cross. Um, and something I, really incredible I like to think about, remember in the last passage we were just looking at at the end, it said that God is both just and the justifier. He's just because he will not allow our sins to go unpunished. But Jesus takes the punishment on our behalf. And he's the justifier because through this he allows us to be made righteous. Isn't the gospel incredible? Like this great exchange where we get everything. Um, yeah, it's amazing. Um, but you might be wondering, if we're truly 100% righteous, why do we still sin? Remember that the top line there shows us how God will view you for the rest of your life. Because Jesus' righteousness is your own. And like we've discussed at length, this is called justification. At the same time, though, there's something else going on. It's a process called sanctification, um, another really important theological word. And this is more what that looks like. Um, and this looks like fighting sin, learning to love God others, and learn, 
learning to love God, there we go, and others better, enduring hardships, maturing in the faith, and so on. Um, it's the process of the Holy Spirit helping us to look more like Jesus as we go throughout our lives. Um, and the great news is, like, notice that little down point there? Like, I'm just as justified in that moment as when I'm doing really well. Um, like, that reality of me being righteous is something that God is always going to see me through. Um, and then there's one more thing I wanted to tell you guys about, and this is something called glorification. And it looks like this. Um, and this is basically, when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus, and I will become like him. This lens of righteousness that God has been seeing me through will become my actual reality. I will no longer sin. And so there's a phrase that goes with each one of these categories that I think are really helpful to think through. Um, for justification, it's that we're saved from the penalty of sin. Remember what I said before about Jesus takes our punishment on himself, so we no longer have to worry about being punished or condemned, and we receive his righteousness. And then sanctification means that we're being saved from the power of sin. As we go along in the Christian life, the power that sin has over us is diminishing. The Holy Spirit is helping us to look more like Jesus. And then glorification means that we are saved from the presence of sin. It's no longer even a thing in our lives. Um, and we could talk about each one of these for literally hours upon hours upon hours. So this is just a little taste of these amazing realities that we have through Jesus. Um, but I wanted to end with one more verse. That day at OUL, I read through the entirety of Romans 3 to 5, and I highly suggest that you do the same. Um, but Romans 5 to 5, 1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, I want you to know that you don't have to keep wondering. Am I right with God? What's my standing before him? How does he see me? You have peace with God. Jesus' perfect record has become your own. Your debt of sin has been obliterated at the cross. And if you've never made that decision before, all these things have become true of you by placing your faith in him. It's not about what you can do. It's not about getting your life together. Jesus wants to redeem you. He wants to burst through the courtroom doors and justify you once and for all. In this series, we've been talking about how theological concepts can push us towards greater love and greater devotion to God. I can think of nothing that frees us to love God more than being completely secure and settled in him. Imagine someone were to get married. They enter a covenant with their partner. They exchange vows where they promise their lives to each other. They have a celebration of their love for all their friends and family. They change the last name, move to a new house. Everything about their identity changes. But imagine that every morning, one of them wakes up and has to ask their spouse in fear, are we really married? Do you really want to be with me? Am I good enough for you? Are you going to leave me? That would be a pretty miserable marriage. And a lot of the time, this is what my relationship with God felt like. The glorious thing is, though, even in the midst of these doubts, the person in the scenario would still be married. Likewise, God had truly saved me. He had justified me. He had changed everything about my identity. He was just waiting for me to start enjoying what he had already done. Don't wait 12 more years to join in on the party. I'm so grateful that God was there for me in those moments of despair and distress. He heard my cries, and I'm so grateful that he intentionally opened my eyes to these realities that fateful day at OUL. I hope that for some of you, this can be that day. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, I thank you so much for these glorious realities. I thank you that you've made a way for us to be made righteous and to have complete peace with you 
and to be safe with you for eternity. Um, help us to not be quick to forget it. Um, bring these things to mind as we go throughout our week um, and throughout our entire, our entire lives. Um, I pray for anyone here who um, is a Christ follower who might be struggling with similar doubts that I had. I pray that you would comfort them and help them to know that they have peace with you through Jesus. Um, and if you're here tonight and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you the chance to do it now. I won't make you raise your hand or anything. It's not about that. It's about the position of your heart. Um, we're going to take a few moments to pray in silence, and if you're a Christ follower, I want you to use this time to praise God for your salvation. And if you want to become a Christ follower, just tell him. There's no magic words. Just let Jesus know that you want to place your faith in him, you want him to be the Lord of your life, and you want him to forgive all of your sins once and for all. We'll go ahead and pray in silence for a few moments, and then I'll bring us back together. Bless you. <laughs> um, on that note, dear God, thank you so much for each person here today. Um, let us never forget what you did for us on the cross, and let it be what drives everything we do. Thank you for the love that you have for all of us and the great lengths you went to rescue us. Amen. Thanks to our listeners for tuning into this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at OU, or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crew at OU.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 1